Hey, everybody, and welcome into the New England Ski Journal's Base Camp Podcast. I'm Eric Wilbur, alongside co-host Mike Spiechen. Mike, how are you doing? Eric, I am outstanding. Every single day is one day closer to getting on snow. And I'm not talking about getting on snow at big snow. Right, right. Yeah, I know. I mean, I've done that before to gain early season, but this is, this is the real McCoy outside. It was. First of all, go back to big snow. I, I was at big snow a few weeks ago and I was impressed. I, I didn't ski at big snow, but I was impressed at the, the traffic going into big snow, right? Like, you go to a mall and everyone had their skis over their shoulders. It was pretty exciting. But anyway, we are, we are going to have real well, skiing. Yeah. For anybody that doesn't know what big snow is. Oh, that's right. I probably should have. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> we are in New England here, but big snow is down in uh, the Meadowlands. Yep. And it's in indoor skiing. And a couple of years ago on my way to Baltimore to see my son, I took skis with me. And the whole purpose was to get on snow. You definitely don't want to take those 100s or 110 underfoot skis. Mm-hmm. You want to you want a carving ski and something short. But it was loads of fun. The snow quality was unbelievable. Yeah, we were planning on going, and then something just happened, and it was a mishap along the way. But we we stood there and watched people skiing, which is always fun, right? Just bring the kid to, to watch people ski. Oh, oh. We were there for the Jets game anyway, so it wasn't like we were there for to to ski. It was. Kind of like a nice little side trip to go check it out, though. So I was impressed. It was it's, nice. It's pretty amazing. But now, now we're getting so close to New England being on fire and open. Yep. Killington is just a couple of weeks away from that whole World Cup weekend there, which is turned into sort of the traditional kickoff to New England skiing here in New England. And the snow is, places are making snow. We're going to see who's going to be the first to open. A lot of, a lot of mountains are scheduled over the next week. It, it's, it's wait and see, but winter is here and winter, it's, it's now time to, to start, stop talking about winter, right? And just go do it. Now it's about getting the ski season going on the hill. Mm. And as we know, Killington's fighting to get ready for the World Cup, Sunday Rivers fighting to get open with them. And all the small guys are going to be up and running. Right. I mean, look, Ski Ward, I think, made a little news over the, over the summer when they started making snow with their new snowmaking system, which was, it's pretty impressive. No two ways about it. That you can make snow in the middle of summer and pretty decent looking snow. Now, were they the first ski area to open when they opened in late October with the rail jam? I don't really count that. I know unofficial networks, a couple other places said, hey, first place. In the-. No, that's not really opening. So, yeah, the gauntlet's still out there. You, you can still become the first open in the East. We'll see who it is. I, my bets are always on Killington or Sunday River because, well, they're usually one of them. But the small guys usually pop up in this little game sometimes, too. Well, have have you ever skied Ski Ward? I've not. No, you know where it's at, Shrewsbury. Yeah, Shrewsbury, right, right up the road from Dean Park. I yeah. used to, I used to live right there. Ski Ward, just a great little mountain. It's it's those feeder mountains like Ski Ward, like Bradford, like Neshoba, like Mount Southington. These hills are the ones that create great skiers. They're sort of the Buck Hills of New England, mm. the Lindsey Vaughn Hill of right. New England. Right. Right. So, so that was exciting to see. But does that mean that ski season was officially open when that happened? No. We're, we're still, we're waiting for that. And it's, it's coming. And so snow and so is the excitement of just being able to, to hit the road for a weekend with your skis in tow and, and, and just you in the mountain and, and go for it. It's, it's time to play. 
But this particular podcast that we're we're embarking on here, we have had some really, really great guests on through the years, or through the years, through the 40-plus podcasts that we've done. Minus the yes, yes. Yes, minus, minus the years. But we've had some really great guests. We've had Doug Lewis this year. We've had Mike Hattrup. We've had Les Otten last year, mm-hmm. which was amazing. Mm-hmm. We've had world-class skiers. We've had world-class resort operators. But this particular guest sort of brings it all together at another level. Yeah, the Glenn, Glenn Plake, I think, is a name that skiers and riders don't necessarily need to be introduced to. He is an icon of the sport. Not just because of his most notable role, or not role, but no, most notable appearance in Blizzard of Oz, um, but just for what he has meant to the sport. Champion of skiing, whether it's promoting it or, or taking care of it or you name it. He is he's the recognizable face in the sport. And, and that's something to be said for a guy that 30 years ago was the name and face of the sport as well and was not... Because of the Mohawk, right? The Mohawk made him recognizable. That's not what his identity was, right? His identity is is real deep and intertwined into the sport of skiing, and it's it's fascinating to 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 read interviews with him and and um, see where his heart's at, particularly where his heart is at in in the the independent resorts of 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 America that he's champions for that for that right and is rooting for those guys to succeed. Yeah, he he really is. Glenn is a person that transcends age groups. A few years back, I was with Elon at the time, and at the old Bee show mm-hmm. in Boston, we we brought Glenn into the show and to sign autographs. And the line for Glenn Plake was the longest line anywhere. We're talking crazy. There were kids of all ages, adults, all wanting to meet this icon that is, I'm, I'm going to say he's the Pied Piper of skiing for the U.S. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's a good way to put it. So Glenn Plake is excitingly going to join us right after this message. All right, welcome back into the New England Ski Journal Basecamp podcast presented by Country Ski and Sport. We are very excited to welcome on the phone line with us live from Vegas, Glenn Plake, who needs no introduction. Glenn Plake, an ambassador for skiing over the past 30-plus years. Glenn, it's a pleasure to welcome you to the show. Uh, thanks for having us. And, well, that introduction sounds live from Vegas. Um, I don't, in fact, have a billboard up yet. I'm looking forward to that, booking my residency show, but not yet. Nice. Uh, <laughs> ex- ex- no, I happen to be passing through, and I'm sitting in a... It's a convenient parking lot. So as life in the rolling, uh, being a rolling stone is, is, yeah, it's great. Thank you. Hey, Glenn, it's it's great to have you on. Was, now that I'm no longer with Elon, I don't get to see you as much, but still, it's still all family out there. Um, why oh, you- absolutely. The ski, the ski world's way too small to not think that we're all hooked together. <laughs> you, you, oh, my goodness, yes. Well, as a timeless skiing ambassador that you are, how did it all get started? Where, where are you from? What's it all about? I grew up in the Lake Tahoe area and, and quickly enjoyed that skiing. And as a ski team, little ski team kid, and learned how to love the sport through various coaches and 
the stories go on and on about our uh, Austrian coaches. I actually had pretty strict training being, being coached by the Austrians and never could figure out why we had to sidestep every freaking day. And when we were supposed to be at ski camp and I remember helmet telling me one time that, well, as a junior junior on the team, that's your job to prepare the course for the people that need to train. <laughs> we're like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> then someday maybe there'll be people that can prepare your course. And in the process of that, I, yeah, I think it's funny because all that sidestepping and everything that we did ultimately probably taught me some edging skills that I would have never learned if I wasn't put through that type of environment. But anyways, I quickly uh, kind of started hanging out at Mammoth. I really enjoyed Mammoth Mountain and the, and the culture in and around skiing there. And also the season, it was a very long place to ski, you know, started early, ended late. And we just enjoyed that. And also... As I got older and started venturing away from the ski area, I I felt that I needed to be more located in more of the mountainous environment, and 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 being in the towards the Mammoth area gave me access to 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 the higher peaks of the range and a little bit more adventurous out there as opposed to the Tahoe areas. And I mean, and shoot, dude, the story's really really long and complicated and and lots of pieces to the puzzle, but I always knew I wanted to be a skier. I mean, probably 10, 10 years old, I can remember riding the chairlift and watching I, the hot dogging scene was alive and well when I was young, and I, I, I remember seeing the guys ski on the face of Gun Barrel there and was like, I want to be a skier. I really want to be a skier. I didn't, but, it, but I also kind of had a weird sense that I wasn't probably going to be a ski instructor per se. I wasn't going to be a skier that let's say uh i don't know the normal path i knew that i knew that very very early on i had no idea what the path was but i knew very on that i was going to be a skier and i wouldn't be going the normal way i knew that and but i also knew that at some point in i guess a skier's life being in a magazine or being on the on the cover of a magazine or or being in a ski movie was an important piece of the puzzle and we used to just, I was addicted to watching the little ski movies when we were kids. We were, we'd go to the pizza parlors and sit and watch the old Barrymore films. And, and yeah, they, without a doubt, I felt that that was where I needed to go. And ultimately I did. I got into a Greg Stump film, which is a whole nother story, a huge story. But one thing led to another and, and my skiing and I guess who I was and how I was connected with people and here we are it's been a, an amazing ride ever since it, it is amazing you, you you said something there you said mammoth had a long season did it ever uh-huh. close did it ever close this year uh, yes we finally closed <laughs> on the 6th august okay. 7th or august 17th i don't know i was there last day and we're like <laughs> yeah there's a t-shirt right now that floating around town that says winter 2000 23 can blow me. Everybody was over it. It was done. We <laughs> biggest winner ever. So what? Don't ever happen again, please. Unbelievable. <laughs> un- un- looked like they'd been back from from a foreign conflict. I mean, they were shell shocked. I think there's going to be TST friggin' effects on the poor ski patrol for many years to come. I mean, <laughs> 980 rounds through the howitzer, over 10,000 hand charges. I looked at people. Uh, ski patrol director when I got back because I missed a lot of it I was in Europe which I didn't miss anything to be honest right <laughs> and and they were, they literally was like 
Nobody got hurt. Nobody died. That was his answer. I was like, hey, how you doing? He's like, nobody got hurt. Nobody died. And he just had this like blank stare in his face like, ah. Anyways, yes, it finally came to an end in August. And, uh, and they're already getting ready to open on November 11th. Un- unbelievable. So there we go. That's great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So now the dedication, Mammoth's got dedication like no other ski area in the world to, to provide a skiing environment. If there's snow, they're going to make it happen. That's, it's a ski area. And I don't think this, I really, there's nowhere in the world that's as dedicated to providing the product, uh, uh as often and, and, and as serious as Mammoth is. Nobody. That's awesome. Not even close. So I want to go back to Blizzard. Blizzard of Oz. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Stump brings you along. And when that film was released, you became a rock star. You know, that you've got the, the Oakleys. You've got, <laughs> you've got the, the Mohawk. And you are mm-hmm. this defining personality. How mm-hmm. did that feel from a guy that was trying to figure out where he was in the skiing industry to all of a sudden being, you know, on the Today Show? So if I could back up slightly, I'm sitting here in Vegas right now, just because we're passing through. That's the only reason I'm down here. Um, but, um, about an hour from here North, I'm going to be passing through the little town of Beatty, Nevada, where they filmed the, the, where we filmed the sand skiing for Maltese Flamingo. And that was really the, that was really my first time with, with Greg. I, you know, I, I had done the skiing and stuff at Squaw Valley and all that, but we had really didn't start to mesh and really be part of the crew until that. And, and starting to be creative together. I think that's the key thing that the creativity that we all shared together and wanted to share really came uh, into fruition when we did the sand skiing out in Beatty. And to this day, every time I drive by Beatty, I have a, uh, really a strange association with that little town there. And every time I drive by the dune and I will drive by it this afternoon and it really, I, I mean, if there's a ground zero for my career, it's out on that sand dune just North of Vegas. And, and that's kind of where it started meshing. And when it was all said and done, they actually had to go back to Colorado and they had to go to do other things. And, and they were like, you good to get back home? I still had to get back home to Tahoe. And I said, yeah. And Greg gave me a $20 bill and enough weed to roll a joint. And I stood out on the highway to freaking and hitchhiked all the way back to Tahoe. <laughs> <laughs> With a pair of C's in the middle of the freaking desert. Oh. And, I mean, yeah, that, it was that simple. Uh, but I think the, create, the, the key to that whole thing and the key to all of our films was that, that inert desire to be creative and to create, I'm saying it a lot because I mean it a lot, but to make art, to make, to enter into the film, to create something to watch, to see, to be a part of, to integrate, to share our lives with the people that were watching the film. And I don't, I wasn't into documenting. I don't care about documenting skiing. I, I want to show it. And fortunately through the lens of Greg and the lens of Bruce Benedict, we were able to show other things of skiing other than the actual act of skiing. That's two-dimensional. I wanted to be three-dimensional. And so anyways, yeah, to answer your question, how to feel, it was pretty trippy. We're, again, I'm a skier. I am not a movie star. I'm not a rock star, which is really cool for me because when I 
meet people and I see people and I integrate with people, they are the same as me. And I'm known for being me. I think it would be very strange to be a rock star who, or a, or a movie star who is not in fact who they are known to be like a Tom Cruise, for instance, he's supposed to be this big superstar. And the reality is that it's like his physical presence doesn't even have the, the persona that he portrays on film. And I, I'm not in that situation. So my interaction with people, I think is much different and they know what I'm doing because can be done by all we can all experience it in one way or another together uh, I can ski with a beginner beginner can ski with me and we can both have a very very great experience at the same time I could be skiing with my best climbing buddy and, and we can be in the in the worst of the worst and have our own experience but anyways because of all of that I have a hard time accepting let's say that I'm a rock star because I'm not well that that statement wasn't wasn't to make it sound like a you're not Mick Jagger, okay? Definitely um, not. Right, but you're, although I'm getting, I'm gonna, I'm <laughs> not that I'm inspired by him, but I'm getting along, and I'm gonna keep rocking along like, like some of those guys have been able to do. <laughs> well, yeah, ex- exactly, and and we're we're in Boston, cool, we're in Boston here, so we we have the Rick Ocasics and the Steven Tyler's, yeah. and yeah, exactly, we've got them all here by all means. But I mean, it's a cliche to say do what you love and and keep keep having fun at it but i i I'm, i don't know those individuals or, but I, I you see them doing what they do and, and i think that's i think it's awesome i don't think they're just doing it because they need to need the money and stuff i think they truly love what they're doing oh and that's I, why they have the desire and the, the drive to go out on some freaking crazy tour you know uh, when they could be whatever sitting on their boats in bahamas or whatever the hell they do i don't know Laugh me all the time. Are you still skiing? I'm like, oh, wait, uh, yeah, no, I, no, I quit. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> I, 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 lo- I love that question. Are you still skiing? Yeah. Are you still, are you still breathing? Yeah. So don't worry about it. Exactly. Well, so, so Glenn Stump said that he was nervous about having you filling in for Lynn because of your unpredictability. Is it, you know, how do you look back at now? I mean, obviously you've done so much since then, but do you go back and look at that character that was in that movie and is it hard to kind of have an association with them just because you've grown up so much since then? Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I think because of the way that you've changed your persona, going back and look at it on video, is it like, boy, I remember that kid and he was wild and crazy and I can never be like that again? No, I, I, I think just absolutely the opposite. Uh-huh. I think I think I'm trying to be that, that kid more and more and more. I just had a conversation with Kimberly to validate the schedule that I have. I just got done doing the last couple of weeks and I'm about ready to do. And when we both had a heart to heart, it's like, that's what we do, huh? Let's go. I mean, don't, we don't, I'm not freaking two, two and a half car garage in the suburb. That's not what we do. That's not what we've done. Mm-hmm. So why do we No. So no, I think I'm still very much the same exact individual with the same desires with the same drive and, same confusion in life it's just very very there's two things that took out that are gone and i i I don't i don't do drugs and i don't i don't do any alcohol Mm -hmm. that's it those are the only two things that have changed that's great i mean so 
when you change, when I you, still talk to my friends. They're like, you can't keep up with Glenn. He's freaking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I wonder, but I wonder when you decided it was but, time to change, when it was time to get rid of the alcohol and drugs. Cause I think we've all, we've all dealt with this at some point so that, in our life, that, right? Without a doubt was a turning point. Absolutely. Without a doubt was a turning point. And to be very honest, and I'm not, I'm not some campaigning, whatever. I'm not, I, I respect anybody's path to sobriety and that's great. And I'm, again, I'm not sitting here going down the road and tell, I'm, I'm not preaching at all, mm-hmm. at all, but no doubt about it. it. It it absolutely was a turning point in my life. And it's probably why I am alive. And it's probably why I continue to have the career. It's probably why I still have my wife and I still have the ability to be that same person that I was in the movies. I just, and so with Greg's situation, yeah, my unpredictability, especially at that time was without a doubt. I just, I, I just lived. I didn't, I, I, did I live hard and fast? Sure. Of course I did. We are supposed to. <laughs> I'm friggin' 20 years old. Right. And, and they, they weren't necessarily living as, as loose as I was that, I mean, I could say free spirit. You could say all sorts of stupid things that describe the, the lifestyle that, that someone may choose. And they were being a little more, let's say, uh, yeah, they weren't ready to just go throw it all out there. I kind of, I think they were just watching their P's and Q's slightly. Cause now let's face it, Greg's trying to go out and get, you know, sponsors and he's trying to get the movie and he's mm-hmm. trying to be, you know, it's like we used to say with the, you know, about the USC team and everything. Here we are, dual mogul skiers. We're freaking mogul skiers, competitive mogul skiers. And you want me to look like a freaking Ken doll? I mean, come on, man. I'm like, I see moguls like in competition. There's, there's nothing more violent and aggressive than that. One hundred percent. And you want me to look and smile and have my perfect teeth and my little hairdo? And Greg was kind of, because the ski industry was still pretty much perfect Peter back in those days, you had your little turtleneck and you had your collar and you had all your stuff. And I, I wasn't living that lifestyle at all. I mean, I wasn't at all. And honestly, the, the beginnings of snowboarding was starting to come about. And I was, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't like the ski industry at all. I wanted it to go away. I did, it didn't represent me or anything I do, or anything any of my friends were doing, skiing and golf is the stupidest freaking association I've ever heard of, and I still can't figure it out because it doesn't have anything to do with me. It has everything to do with real estate. It has nothing to do with the sport. Skiing and motocross, yeah, I get it. That would have worked out. Preach. You know? Preach. <laughs> Preach. It's, 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 it's really funny, Glenn, because we had John Egan on very recently, and we we're talking about soul. We we're talking about soul of skiing. And I, I think what you just said there is that skiing was losing soul because it was so regimented. And I think, so that's why I think I was considered, let's say, loose and unpredictable. Yeah, of course, I freaking had a drinking problem. I had a pretty good arrest record. I had all sorts of things that, that didn't fit like the Greg's trying to get some sponsorship from some people and it's like, oh, and then I got my, <laughs> one of my star skiers and yeah, hopefully we can get him in this segment. Depends if he's in jail or not. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and ironically, every, everything I was charged with 
is legal today. This is why I'm against the legalization of, of marijuana and, and other drugs. You got to go pay your friggin' dues. You got to go sneak <laughs> around. I'm not, not for it in any way. <laughs> I, I, not I, after all the crap I had to do. <laughs> ex- exactly. It, it, you know what? The world's gotten too easy. Well, it's we pretty funny. We have had we had Lynn on. We also okay. had Hattrip and uh, Stump on. So okay. we we talked to all of them about the extreme tagline for Blizzard. What? How do you how do you view? Do you feel it was extreme or is, was it just skiing? We were just pretty much out skiing, but without a doubt, I think we were we were. So you were saying it had gotten too regulated. It had gotten too conservative, whatever you want to call skiing. It had gotten into this little zone. And I think we were, we were, we reminded people of what skiing had been done before and was still being done. If you go back to the Roger Brown films, if you go back to see the outer limits, if you go back to Mobius flip, if you go back to these, this era of hot dogging and all that was being done. The free spirit of skiing was alive and well. And then it somehow got squished by board members, I guess. I don't know. Um, and I think we just reminded everybody of the type of skiing that could be done and should be being done. Did they call it extreme? Yeah. Maybe Greg was playing with some words there. I do find it interesting that, a little ski movie done by some people that nobody knew about literally changed uh, society's um, jargon. The word extreme right. became a word and, and it represented something. I find that very interesting. There was extreme tacos. There's extreme big gulp. There's extreme this. There was, let's, let's not forget and I love reminding everybody about the X games were actually called the extreme games oh, before yeah. they got rid of it. And, and I find that interesting that Greg's films and the films that we were able to be a part of had that big of an impact. And while I certainly respect the Dogtown crew and the surfer crew and the whole side sideways mafia, I think that's awesome and more power to you guys. But I do believe that there was a, a group of skiers that, made a major effect on pop culture also. And it was the Greg Stump films and the skiers that were involved in it. And I, I see Tony Hawk occasionally. And I remind, I remind him often that the very first film he was ever in way before animal chin was Maltese Flamingo, a little ski movie he had never heard about and didn't even know he was in it. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, I think I'm 49 years old. And if you ask any skier of my generation, what their favorite ski film is, if they don't say Blizzard, then you ask them what's wrong with them, right? I mean, that's it, right. it, that's what it is. Now it's 35 it's years later. The, yeah. 35 it's, years it's, later. What do you think of the reception it still continues to get? I mean, it's awesome, man. I love it. I, 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 I'm not exaggerating when I say this. This isn't just a number I'm throwing out. But at least 25 or 30 times this year, I had little kids that were probably seven or eight years old come up to me and be like, I, I watched Blizzard today. That is awesome. <laughs> or, or, or the dad would say, we watched Blizzard this morning before we went skiing. And I just find it, I mean, how can you not be thrilled about being something that's just good, clean fun like that? And, and I don't know, maybe it, it stirs some 
some people to think a different way or inspires them to see a different way or, but it is, it's, it's incredible that all over all these years, the multiple generations. I mean, I used to laugh when I thought I'd gone through two generations. Now there's no doubt about it. I'm on three and maybe even fourth generation Lizard of Oz skiers and, and, and or viewers. It's quite trippy actually, but I just, I don't know. I, it, I've said it before and you're going to hear me say it forever. And in fact, it's funny. I'm, I'm down here in Vegas. There's a big punk rock freaking festival going on right now. And, and so we were looking at some old flyers and there, there always used to be a, a, a thing in, in the punk rock, world the all ages show and then everybody can come this is a non-alcohol show this is an all ages show and and i and i i don't think there's anything that represents that better than skiing oh i because we're all out cruising doesn't matter if you're four years old or 40 or 50 or 80 or 14 we're all it's just you can't you can't not be inspired by each other whether it's some old guy that's out there doing his thing or some little kid doing it thing, or I followed some kid through the park this summer and I just rode up over this jump and in front of him, in front of me, he threw, I don't even know what the hell it was that he threw, man, I skied up to him in the limp line. I was like, dude, I went off that jump right after you. And that was, I don't even know what you did, man, but that was awesome. <laughs> that That is, you, you know what? The, and he looked at me and was like, thanks man. Badass. <laughs> the, the new generation is doing some wild things on skis right now. I mean, I think it has to be. I mean, it's the link of the chain. It's a, when someone first did a backflip back in the forties, someone did a double backflip in the fifties and in the sixties, they did a triple backflip and then they started twisting and, and there's, there is no difference between any of those individuals and or myself throwing side flips and everything that we kind of did or skiing steeps on a, on a regular basis or hot dogging in steep environments which is really what we were doing different. If there's something different that we were doing and that's the, we were hot dogging in the steep environments and from the actual ski standpoint, but it's the same and our, our brains are the same. Our philosophies are the same. Our desires the same. There's no difference there. It's just a different era, different time and time and space. Oh, it's, it's, it's like a blank canvas every day. You just, Uh you, you, it's art. But the real change, and I, I remember this day, actually, the real change in your life outside of your love of skiing happened at Stratton Mountain at, at <laughs> yeah. a little trade show. Uh, yeah. Why don't you fill us in on what happened? Yeah, I, it's funny. Man. Yeah, if you, got, if you got two places in my life, I told you about Beatty, Nevada. It being a turning point in my life, but we can also say Stratton, Vermont was a massive turning point in for in my life and 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 another person's and that's because i met kimberly there and that was just a random trade show on snow trade show and i had to be honest i had been coast to coast three times that year or that week and all i wanted to do was freaking go to bed i was over it i had done my deal i put my smiley face on i had skied with a bunch of people and i was done and a bunch of the tech reps are like, no, dude, you got to go to the after ski because you got to pull the raffle prize. And I'm just like, all right, let's go pull the friggin' raffle prize. And, <laughs> and, and in the meantime, uh, waiting to for the great moment, I started chatting with a with a girl and we started we struck up conversations and one thing led to another. We were able to actually step away from the party that night and 
and actually have some conversation with everybody. And basically finally did get back to my, my, my condo or wherever the heck we were staying about 10 o'clock and, and said goodnight and, and didn't think I, I, I was saying, and the very next morning I woke up going, Oh man, I, I met this girl last night. And, um, but the morning came and they, I didn't realize that they had left that night. They actually drove back to, to where they were living. And so I was like, what the heck? Shoot, man, I really want to meet this girl again. And so I went to the, the registration cards. So technically now I'm, I'm probably stalking. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> I went to, um, We've all been there. I'm, I went to the registration cards. And all the guys, all, all, all the marker reps were helping me out. We got it. Cause remember you had to fill out all your cards. Oh yeah. The old and, school way. Yeah. Cause you had your DIN numbers and everybody had to go up the ramps and, and all the different things. Not every, not every individual, not every manufacturer was setting up your bindings. You'd go to the binding ramps and have your demo ski set up. Anyways, I, I knew her name was Kimberly and I went into her cards. And I found out, and then I found out that she was working at the ski market there. And I started asking around, like, so where is this place and how far away is it? And this and that. It was Thanksgiving weekend, and Mike Hattrop had a rental car. And I, things were pretty loose back then. I didn't have a credit card. I was, I'd carry cash around if I had money at all. And there was no way I was renting a rental car. And it was Thanksgiving weekend. We were headed to the airport, and I told Mike, dude, you're going to be late to your flight. You Let me drop you off at the gate, and then my flight isn't until isn't for a couple of hours. Why don't you why don't you give me the, the car, and I'll just take the car back, and that way you make your flight. And he's like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Okay, thanks. So I dropped him off at the curb, and I immediately turned south and headed down to a Connecticut, Norwalk, Conne- Norwalk, Connecticut. <laughs> I know all about it. <laughs> and and I called up and was like, "Yeah, so there's a girl named Kimberly that works there." And they're all, "Yeah, we're having a staff meeting tonight." So I pulled down and sat in the parking lot there for a little bit and uh, walked into the store and and kind of said hi. <laughs> I, I, I really wanted to see you again. And I hung out with some of the guys that worked in the shop. Did a little couch surfing that night. We spent the weekend together and learned a little bit more about each other and, and what have you and agreed that we should stay in, stay in contact with each other. And it's kind of interesting because both of us were in, a, in other arrangements at the time that for whatever reason weren't going one way or the other. And yeah, it wasn't very long before we spent a time, you know, got to see each other again. And then, and then I invited her on another trip and she began, she was in a transition time also as far as work was concerned. And the next thing you know, we, we started traveling together and, and yeah, my Kimberly became my wife shortly after that. It, one of the, one of the things that was really cool was she was from the South. No, no, I don't have anything to do with the South, but she was moving from the North back down and I had met a man in in the North, in, in Chamonix, France, that grew up skiing in North Carolina. And I was all excited to go ski in North Carolina. And Kimberly, that was one of our first like ski trips together. We, we went to North Carolina and skied little ski area down there, Beach Mountain. And that was really a cool experience that 
ultimately led to some other stuff that I think you're going to ask me some questions about. But <laughs> I love Perfect. it. Perfect segue. Uh, Kimberly, there. now Kimberly, yeah, segue city here. Um, Kimberly, yeah, wow, definitely had a massive influence on my life as far as getting it, getting it straight, as far as this whole. And again, I'm not. I, I got to be really careful about folks because I know people are struggling in their lives without a doubt. But so I'm gonna. I'm not necessarily gonna say addiction, but the problems I was having with drinking and smoking and doing stupid stuff. Um, she had a big part of that too because she had never had that really in her life. It was something that came during her college years, where I was. I grew up in a gambling town. I was. I was going at it by by age twelve. So. I, I had the luxury of her helping me along the way there. I had massive support right there from her. That is absolutely and, awesome. Uh, and both of us went on to continue to just live unorthodox, crazy lives. And as I started, I mean, whether it's sleeping in the parking lot of Crawford's Hotel or sleeping in the Crawford's Hotel, it depends what night it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do want to... sleeping on the... See, we were living using the solar shower that we heated up on the back of the car trailer. I mean, that's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Perfect. It really, it doesn't matter. And, and in fact, the more we embrace that life, the more we feel like we are being, we're being who we are. Well, and, uh, I can't explain it to anybody other than it's going to hit you in that. Don't be looking for it. Cause how the hell does somebody from California meet somebody from Texas in Stratton, Vermont? So there you go. It's, it's wacky. <laughs> so I want to go back to so, No, go ahead. And, and, and the other thing, you were there. A lot of people in the ski industry know about how this took place. And we see the friends and that were at that party and stuff. And I, I think it's very interesting that we have the that many people involved in our lives. We have a lot of people involved in our lives and always have. And it, I think might be why we, we have the lives that we have is because we do in fact have so many people involved in it in one way, shape or form. So a few years ago, you, you guys went on uh, an RV tour called the down home tour. Can you, yep. Tell us, tell us what started that and, and what did it mean to make those connections with the, these independent resorts or in, I'm sorry, not resorts, independent ski areas. Ski areas, well said. So I told you briefly about this date that we went on. I wanted to go ski North Carolina because I, I had never, I had never, I didn't know there was skiing in North Carolina. What the heck? And, and I had heard, I met a guy that, that grew up skiing there in France of all places and, and, so I was really curious. So we just showed up, pulled up to the ski area, walked in, bought tickets, got our gear, and started skiing. And obviously, and it was like a Thursday afternoon. Well, it was obvious that somebody that was not from around there and didn't ski like everybody else was skiing at the ski area that day, without a doubt. And I, it wasn't very long before somebody came out I think I was maybe even on the cover of the magazine or something that month, or I don't even know. But literally somebody came out with basically like wanted poster on the wall, standing in the lift line going, yep, it's him. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just a really, really cool interaction with, with skiers where they ski at their ski area. And it didn't have anything to do with promotion or some, no, there was nothing. It, it was just, we skied. 
You were at a, a couple of places in, in Vermont. You went to Bolton Valley. You were at Mad River Glen when you told right. a, ma- a magazine, Vermont Ski and Ride, that you hadn't skied with the junior freestyle kids since Miss Pratt owned the place. And not <laughs> not Betsy Pratt, just Miss Pratt. And, I, and I, it made me wonder, like, how in tune are you with the history of New England skiing? Because Miss Mrs. Pratt's not exactly a name that, you know, flows off the tongue immediately. I'm a bit of an old school there for sure. So that down that visit in 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 North Carolina led to some other things that happened. I was in Michigan, and some people came were like telling us that they had been skiing that day, and I was at a ski shop. Like, well, why wasn't I out skiing with you? This is bullshit. Why am I sitting here? So for our honeymoon, we decided that we would do something called the Down Home Tour, and that would be an unannounced ski trip. Me and Kimberly would go out and ski every ski area we could along the way. No destination whatsoever, no promotion whatsoever, other than the posters that I would bring into the lodge. And we did our first down home tour. And that one would skied 50 ski areas in 68 days east of the, east of the Mississippi. And it was just me and Kimberly, no promotion teams, no nothing. Right. And we just did our thing. And, because of that, and because I spent time with my grandparents, and because I'm a bit of a historian, I got to meet Miss Pratt. I got to meet Mr. Bryant out of Fun Valley, Iowa. I got to meet the. I w- it was it was at a time where a lot of these first generation ski area managers and or founders were still alive, and I had the pleasure of meeting them and speaking to them and. The fact that we showed up with no promotion team. We literally just show up. Hey, I mean, I literally I had to show ID sometimes. Like, look, I would like to get a free ticket. Well, why would we give you a free ticket? Well, I'm, I'm actually kind of famous <laughs> in some circles in the ski in the world. I mean, here's a magazine. And what I intend to do is ski with the people at your ski area. And then if you're this afternoon, if the ski team shows up, I have a lot of posters. I have a lot of things that I would like to give away. And they were like, okay, I guess we we'll give you a ticket. This is absolutely true because I remember hearing when you were at Bolton Valley and I was like, no, Glenn Plake's not at Bolton Valley. There would have been a release or something like that. And sure enough, there was Glenn Plake at Bolton Valley at my river Glen, like making the rounds. I'm like, wow, this is cool. People have tried to sponsor. I've had companies come and say, we want to be the presenting sponsor of the down home tour. We want to do this. We want to do that. We want to have a promotional team. We want to basically make it a rock star tour. And every time we say, thank you very, very much, but that's not what it's about. That is not the down home tour. And, and I, I appreciate your interest, but no, that's not how it works. We don't roll that way for many reasons. One of them is if I have a schedule, then what happens when I sit at the freaking truck stop puking my guts out just outside of Portland, Maine for three days straight because I picked up something, probably hanging out with the kids eating french fries at the back <laughs> bar the night before. But anyways, you know, if I was on schedule, I'm, I can't provide. What happens when the road gets screwed up? What happens when the truck breaks? What happens? So we don't do that. And and also I don't want to have that. But it's, that's not what it's about. The down-home tour is just to go ski with folks in their own environment, and to be very, very honest, to sit on the chairlift and go, thank you for giving me the life that you've given me because you watched that dumb old film called Blizzard Boss <laughs> or Maltese or whatever. You know what? That That's where the soul of skiing is, Glenn. It really is. Yeah. And No, it's, re- it's, 
it's cool to I, I really thoroughly enjoy it. And the weather sucks a lot of times. It's pouring down rain. We're not skiing, whatever. And and it's just fun. And the posters are still hanging on the wall. And okay, in this world of social media, yeah, I got freaking seventy five thousand followers or whatever the heck. And and I certainly appreciate that. And I know that if I had a dead battery at the end of this right now, I could probably do a post and say I need a jump. And I'm sitting in this parking lot. But and people would come. And that's great. But I do believe, and this might be a word to the wise and some young folks listen or something, but at some point you got to freaking do the deal. You can't just do it on the internet or you got to actually touch people. You got to, you got to interact with people. You got to sign that poster. You got to give somebody proof that they got to interact with you because they admire you and they gave you the, the life that you, you get to live. And that, that interaction that, I mean, it's nice to take a selfie and it's all this stuff, but it's, I, I just, I love, and I'm not doing this for ego reasons, but I just love handing out an autograph card or I love doing a poster to just say, thanks. And here's some proof that we, we got to hang out together a little bit. That, you know? that is so awesome. Well, we, we spoke to Hattrip, Mike Hattrip on a recent podcast and you, you brought up Chamonix just a few minutes ago somebody from mm-hmm. North Carolina. How did Mike told us how Chamonix changed his directions and views of skiing? How did, what did Chamonix do to you? Mm, obviously the same. I mean, I, I, I went over there. So I went over there for a four and a half week ski trip and didn't leave for two years or just shy of two years. And to be honest, I probably would have never left if, if, if Greg and them didn't call me and say, Hey, the, the today show wants to, talk to you and of course my answer is what's the today show right <laughs> <laughs> but i wouldn't I, I wouldn't have left semony i i went i i was when much like i told you the end of the end of the film shoot there and and yeah I, these are it's actually pretty funny when with these interviews and stuff that are being done with everybody everybody should ask so how did the film end because i nobody ever really knows these stories <laughs> how did it but there again, they were all packing up their bags, much like much like saying goodbye in Beatty. They were packing their bags to go home, and I was like, "I'm not going home. What do I have to go home to, you guys? I I don't have a car. I don't have a place to live. It's here. They so they gave us season passes. Oh my! So that we could ski and do the film without having to go in and get day tickets. So here I am. I'm sitting in Chamonix with a season pass. It's February. There's a lot of winter left. And I got two or three pairs of skis. What? I mean, why would I leave right now? And, and I mean, here we are years later. What's tomorrow bring? I don't know. But today I'm not going to, I'm not leaving. And I didn't <laughs> I <love> leave. It. <laughs> Did it change me? Yes, of course it does. And then I'm, gosh, dang, good fortune in life. I mean, we ultimately bought our apartment over there some 15 some odd years ago. And I have French residency paper. I come and go as, as, as my leisure, and Chamonix is a is a major part of my life. And I'm 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 happy that I I am actually part of that community. I'm 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 estranger, of course, but everybody I, I haven't been in fact accepted by the French and and the people. The Chamonix is everybody's everybody's pretty proud of their of where they're from and who they are and what they do and. And I'm happy to say that I'm 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 absolutely part of the Chamonix culture and and the community. 
uh, of Chamonix. Very cool. Very, it's very, it's probably my greatest accomplishment to be respected by the folks or not respected, included by the, by the folks over there. And, and respected. Yeah. And I mean, so be, between Chamonix and Mammoth, I think those are the two most reliable and most impactful ski locations for me anyway. And, and it, it changed everything. It changed my, Darren Johnson was one of my, my ski partners when I was at home and I'd come back from Chamonix and Darren would just sit there and would look at each other and be like, they'd be like, okay, so what's new now? What are we, what's, what's on the list now? What'd you learn? What'd you do? What'd you, where are we at? And, and that allowed us to do a lot of great things in the Sierra when we, when we were doing our things. And because I was out traveling the world and, and, uh, being based at a, it's like being a stock car racer and living in friggin' North Carolina. I mean, you're going to get good at it. Right. Just the way it is. So, so what are you up to today? What what does Glenn Plague uh, have on the calendar loosely when the uh, the snow starts flying? When the snow starts flying, or today? Today, tomorrow, <laughs> you know, whenever. Today, I'm off to the race shop in Boulder City, Nevada, to check out the truck that I'll be in for the Baja 1000 in two weeks. Then I'm going to drive to Reno and. This week, by the way, the motorhome, and uh, you're going to see pictures of it, but the motorhome has been painted. So I'm re- I'll be revealing the new paint scheme in the motorhome real soon. And and that goes on this week. And then I'm going to go down to Baja and help my dad fix his water system that got hit by the hurricane. And then we're going to race the 1,000. Probably stay down there for Thanksgiving, and then we'll come back up Thanksgiving week and start our ski season. That'll start at Mammoth. We'll ski probably through the holiday season and then go straight over to Europe. And I'll be based in Europe through probably May or June. There, I might be going to Pakistan this year. I'm doing some steep camps with smart, smart mountain guides. What else is going on? Kimberly's actually got a bunch of stuff going on with smart mountain guides. Her and Liz are doing a bunch of ladies stuff. Then the phone's going to ring, and, and who knows what happens. On February 23rd, Bad Boy Club is having an anniversary. So I will actually be in Southern California for that night because, yeah, Life's the Beach Bad Boy Club is, is having a, a, an anniversary that I will not miss and cannot miss because that was my first sponsor and, and had a lot to do with my big professional career. And, yeah. Actually, a funny story on that. So I went into the bad boy club. I had a broken femur. I could barely walk. And I went into their offices and said, you need to sponsor me. And they said, who are you? I said, my name is Glenn, blah, blah, blah. I had a bad accident the day after I was filming. Mal- I broke my leg the day after filming Maltese Flamingo, by the way. Mm-hmm. I got I hitchhiked back from the desert. I went skiing the next day and broke my leg. And I didn't ski again for 18 months until the segment the, the snowbird segment in in Blizzard of Oz is the first time, not the first time I had skied, but the first real skiing I had done since my accident. No. Anyways, so I'm standing there all broken up and everything. And I remember Beaver, who used to run Life the Beach, goes, so why would we sponsor you? I'm like, because I'm your guy. Trust me. And you need to sponsor me. And he goes, well, what about all these other skis? Uh, here's some resumes that I've received. Do you know any of these other individuals? And back then, being my freaking cocky self, I there was a trash can next to his desk, and I took my hand, I slid every one of those resumes into the trash can, and said, "I'm your guy." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. 
I love it. That that is that is so hilarious. So the so I gotta go. I gotta go to our anniversary for Bad Boy Club, which is a funny, funny, yeah, funny deal. Looking back at the old Life to Beach Bad Boy Club. Cool. Well, that is awesome, Glenn. Uh, I want to thank you so very much for joining us. Um, this is first off, it's great, always great to catch up with you. Um, give Kimberly my best. Um, I will for sure, and, and I, I guarantee you she does it back. <laughs> I, I'm sure she does. And uh, it was a pleasure uh, just rehashing so many great years. Yeah, I hate to tell old war stories because I'm still living. When they put me in the Hall of Fame, I said, this is great, but can you put me in twice? Because I got a lot of things to do right now. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> well, Glenn, I want to – is my mic on? It's my mic. Can you hear yeah, me? I heard that. Okay, sorry, that's yeah. me. Glenn, I want to thank you for being on the program. This was a pleasure. Having your voice and that infectious laugh that's so defining, is it was great to have for an hour here and to just chat. So, Glenn, I, I good luck for everything in your future, and I can't wait to see what's next on your calendar. Yeah, same for everybody out there listening. Hey, it's, life goes, and I, I just walk through those, walk through every threshold, walk through every open door, man. Who knows where, who who cares where it leads? Oh, 100%, 100%. That, that is the best way to leave it. Walk through every open door, make it happen. So, yeah. Glenn, safe travels, and we will talk to you very soon. Will do. See everybody on the slopes. I hope we get to ski or, or ride a chairlift together. You bet, future. 100%. That was Glenn Plake, everyone, on the New England Ski Journal Base Camp Podcast, presented by Country Ski and Sport. We'll be right back. Wow, Eric, Glenn Plake, when when I look at two completely vibrant guests that we have had, Doug Lewis being one with energy beyond belief, and Glenn Plake with just unapologetic energy and a voice for this industry. Right, well, like I said, that iconic laugh that is just so defining and... and um is a, is a defining trait of skiing's best ambassador. Let's let's not mince words. He is. He's their most recognizable personality, bar none. I mean, even when he says, I've got five and six-year-olds coming up to me and saying, hey, I just watched Blizzard. I don't doubt that. I completely believe it because that is the impact of that film and that's the impact of my kids have seen it and they will, if they ran into Glenn, can say, hey, I just watched you in the movie too. So I understand all that connection and how it resonates. And he clearly appreciates that. And he clearly understands, he clearly understands what his role is. Okay. Number one. But number two, the fact that he doesn't, that he does it without any PR and the fact that he, that's, that's the, the main goal to not have any PR is just a, a tremendous breath, breath, not breathtaking. What's the word I'm looking for? refreshing uh, yep, refreshing, refreshing angle right to go out and talk to the people like not to just have this be a social media thing it was tremendous and i love that sort of down home feel he took to his role in skiing and, and his responsibility with it oh yes 100 percent. i i think my last statement about glenn because i really want the listener to listen to glenn not me my last statement is that Glenn has soul. He's unapologetic for who he is. And as he said, he doesn't want to be a rock star. He's a skier. And that's 
what everybody should remember. Yes. And it, it's, it is funny, though. He doesn't want to be a rock star and then to have this image of a 1991 with the Mohawk and the Oakleys. And it's like that image is burned in my brain. And realizing and understanding who he's become since then over the 30 years, it's it's a little easier to understand he doesn't want to become a rock star because you get to know him and understand what is his real goal is here. That was his personality in 1991, 1990, whatever. It's not his personality now, but that even though the image is, is burned in my mind, what he has done for the sport since has been tremendously just as on par with what he did then. Yeah. Glenn, Glenn and Kimberly are dear friends. Love them both to death. And they are true, true ambassadors for, for skiing. We'll end it there because I think Glenn took most of our time, which is what we want. We want them to feel comfortable on this show and be able to keep chatting, chatting, chatting. And before I keep doing that, I will end it here. Mike, thank you very much. Eric, they keep getting better and better. That's all I can say. Well, that's a testament to you for, for landing guest after guest and, when I get Mike Speech on my on my cell phone, I know I know something's happening. He's either landed the next president or or someone else because Mike is a is a booking genius. So and, thank and you very much. I must say, so everybody knows what's coming up to be ready for it. We do have an athlete from POW, Protect Our Winners coming, and we do have the Kelly Brush Foundation coming. Very exciting. They will be coming up very soon on the on the podcast. Cool. All right, Mike, thank you very much. Thank you, Eric. I am Eric Wilbur. This has been the New England Ski Journal's Base Camp Podcast. We will talk to you next time. New England Ski Journal's Base Camp is a Siemens Media podcast. Siemens Media, inspiring, informative, insightful.